0: We're in Exodus, chapter 34, verse 11. We are live. We welcome everybody that's with us live, wherever you're at. You have the privilege of getting to have Bible study with us on Thursday or not, depending on how you look at it. But we welcome you and those of you that will get this podcast sometime in the next day or two. Uh, We're back in the book of Exodus. We travel through these books as much as we can, expositorily. I do some topical stuff on Sundays, but usually I'll still spend a lot of time in a chapter, uh, even if I'm trying to... But uh, most of this, what we do here is expository preaching and teaching, verse by verse, line upon line. So uh, we welcome you, and we're glad you tuned in. Everybody that's here in the building, we have good crowds on Thursday in person, too, so we appreciate all you guys being here. and. Uh, you won't backslide if you don't come to Bible study on Thursday, but I might if I'm the only one in here. So I appreciate y'all. Appreciate y'all showing up. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time we have together. We thank you for your word. We ask you to help us, Lord, as we travel through here. None of us have full knowledge like you, but you desire to increase our learning and for us to learn of you. And that's what we we'll want to do, Lord. We we'll want to learn of you. I want to be more like you. That's my heart's desire, is that I would become more like you. And the more we become like you, everybody in our circle benefits from that. Our children, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters. Naturally, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, the more we become like you, our spouses, everybody benefits from that. So help us, Lord, to be more like you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, I I don't want you to, Sunday's going to be some good stuff. I want you to make sure you get out. If you cannot get out, possibly, uh, tune in for sure. Uh, Let's look at uh, verse 11 in Exodus 34. And I'm not going to, I am going to get into this at some point, uh, probably this spring. Uh, I want to break down these people groups that he's talking about. And I'm not going to do that today because that is a whole powerful teaching in that. He says uh, in verse 11, Observe what I command you this day. This is the Lord talking. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. Where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. And so he's cautioning them about having relationships with these people. Right? That's what he's doing. He's cautioning them about having a relationship with these people. You, you, when you watch Jesus operate, he always <clears throat> was available to the lost people some of them uh, with reputations even, right, that he was criticized for, like going to Zacchaeus' house, uh, letting a prostitute wash his feet, you know, meeting, meeting the woman at the well. But he was always willing to eat and minister to these people, but he didn't run with them. And that's where we got... Confused a little bit in the modern church. Paul said evil communications corrupt good manners, right? So in other words, the people you hang out with will rub off on you. They'll begin to water things down. How many? If we could just, and I know this is politics, but just because that's so out there in front of us all the time, if you could go back and watch tapes of some of these politicians of what they believed 20 years ago versus what they believe now. I mean, it's like I've told people half of my family is Democrats and half of them is Republicans. That's just the nature of where I grew up. But 30 years ago, the only way you could tell them apart was their, uh, their thoughts on labor. Everybody had the same moral values. But that's all changed in both parties. We've got people who have no, no semblance of what God teaches, they don't know what He teaches, they don't want to know what He teaches. So these people out in the world, it doesn't matter what color they are, where they're at, what nationality they are. It doesn't matter if they're a male or a female or what political stripe they wear. we got to be careful connecting and hanging out with people that don't believe God's Word and don't make that their primary source of truth. And that's what he's telling. In fact, he told Israel, he said, you don't make any relationships or covenants with people who worship false gods. He said, I don't want you to have a military alliance with them. I don't want you to have economic connections to them. And he cautioned them about that. And, and they fell into it anyway. But that's, this is what he's telling them. He's saying, take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars... Cut down their wooden images, for you shall worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you and you eat of his sacrifice and you take of his daughters for your sons. And his daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. So he's really putting this in front of them saying, if you go over there and start having relationships with these people, they're going to lead you astray. Now, let's, let's see what the New Testament says about that. Go to Second Corinthians Chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, <clears throat> look at uh, uh, verse uh, 14, I believe it is, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Look what he tells us, and you all have heard me say this, and some of you might would even testify to this. Uh, I've told my children when they were growing up, and any of their friends that come over, they all heard this saying. What's worse than marrying the wrong person? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) That's the worst thing you can do. So uh, you don't want to fall into that trap. You want to make sure you get the person God's got in front of you. Now, we know God's a forgiving God, and He gives new starts. I'm just saying, if you're in that spot, make sure you find the right one. Uh, He says in verse 14 of chapter 6, Do not be unequally yoked with together with unbelievers. So this is the same thing God saying in the Old Testament to Israel, but He's saying it here to us believers in the New Testament. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? There again, <clears throat> Jesus gave us the pattern of how to deal with the world. He ate with sinners. He spent time sharing with them in, in public places where other people were at, but He didn't run with them. And that's our call. We got to reach out to the sinner, have dinner with them, meet them, share the gospel with them, but you can't run with them because that's, that, that's not a good situation for you or uh, in the long run. So <clears throat> then he says, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness and what accord has Christ with Belial or Satan. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? And see, that was all mentioned there in Exodus. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And I will receive you. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. And when you get serious with the Lord, a lot of people are just going to get away from you. I mean, that, that's, that, they, that conviction rubs off on them, you know. Even though you may not, and we're not supposed to be, and you'll hear some of that Sunday. You're not being belligerent about it. And you can't force somebody to be a believer. That's, that doesn't work. But a lot of people will just move away from me, right? I I lost a lot of friends when I got serious with God. Uh, And usually even when you gather at family functions, the people that don't really want to serve God, they'll not spend a whole lot of time with you. They'll talk with you about politics or basketball or football or something or the weather. But uh, they don't really want to. So there's a certain level of separation that comes. But the enemy, will he loves to set all of us up, right? I mean, he wants you to start compromising, start letting up, backing off of standing and holding to the truths of God, defending the faith, you know. And we got to do that in love, but still we don't, we don't move. We don't move off the truth of God. And that gets harder, right? <clears throat> now, when I was younger, probably an early teenager, I was i was being i was living the Christian life as an early teenager uh, but I got caught up in the wrong people group and um uh, and it started getting rough in that people group started getting away from, you know godless stuff was come trying to come into that circle i was in and I, I jumped not literally, but I got up in the middle of that people group one day and said, hey, wait a minute, man, let's, let's not go this way. I'm a Christian. I said that. And a guy laughed right in my face. And I thought, saying you're a Christian and being a Christian is two different things. And it got my attention. And I've had moments In my life where God gets our attention, right? I was known as a Christian. I was actually preaching at this time. And I was in a circle. And I said something foolish. Not vulgar. Foolish. You know, the Bible talks about foolishness, right? And uh, I said something foolish. And then another guy in a circle who was lost came out with a horrible vulgar joke. And I stepped away. It, it, I felt like I got hit with skin brace smack, smack, you know, <laughs> I backed out. And, uh, and then it hit me that I was responsible for that. I brought that group into foolishness and opened the door for that. So we learn, you know, I wish I could stand in this pulpit and tell you I'm perfect, but you wouldn't want to listen to a guy that, that says that. No, <laughs> <would you? laughs> who, who believes that to start with? And who, who, who uh, real-life experience. <clears throat> I guess the point I really want to drive home here is, is the company we keep, we'll have, it will rub off on us, good or bad. And so we got to guard against that. Because we're living in the last days, a lot of that's being handled for us, right? I mean, people really don't, they think we're kooks, right? We're, we're looking for Jesus to split the sky, you know? And I think you guys come up with wilder stuff than that out in Hollywood, You know, Um, but we we're looking for Jesus to return. We're looking for Him to shut the world down and make everything right. You know, then we we tell everybody. I tell, we're going to come back on a horse, not a satellite that Elon Musk has made, but a horse. (laughs) We're going to be flying in the air. Think about it. I love I love being crazy when it comes to believing God's word, because I know it's true you got a God, and I have a God that can do anything but wrong. That's amazing. Just look at creation. That's why Paul says people are going to be without excuse when they stand before God, because nature itself is screaming to us that Jehovah is God. And so let me take you back here to Exodus. Let me explain something. I just learned this, and uh, I'm still learning, and I'm glad I'm still learning. But he talks about he's a jealous God. And God is all-powerful. And as I've been studying those two words, Jehovah and, and Yahweh, a little bit deeper than I ever have. And, and one, of the way, one of the best ways to, to describe God is he is. He is. I mean, that is all-inclusive. That's why he said to Moses, said you go tell them that the I Am sent you. <clears throat> and basically, when you study that in the Hebrew, it's like God telling Moses, I'm giving you a blank check. Whatever you need, I am. Man, I felt that. But I found something else out. God is so powerful, and this is one of the better ways to describe it, although it's still beneath Him. Is it, have you ever uh, a pinched a water hose? and you hold that pressure back that's that's kind of the picture the hebrew gives you about god he is so he has got so much force to release he's all powerful he's all knowing it's like when you have that hose you can feel that force in that hose building up and then you let that go it's like whew, that's who god is that's Sorry, God, we're limited down here. But that, that is a way to describe the force of God. He is. I am. And you remember when Jesus was in, they were coming to get him. And they'd come out with all these soldiers, like, I think it's like 5,000 probably they said was coming to get Jesus. And he, he's standing there. And some of your translations, when they say, where's he at, will say, I am he. But that ain't what he said. He said, I am. He was added to clear it up, quote unquote. But in the original Greek, it says, I am. So when he said that, that force just put all those guys on their backs. Because you see what he was saying, I'm God in the flesh. You didn't come out to arrest another human. You've come out here to arrest God. The one that made you. The one that created everything. He said, You've come. That's why he said, I am. And then when they said, We're Abraham's disciples, he said, Before Abraham was, I am. I love that. I'm glad, he, I'm, glad I'm on his side. He, he is all powerful, all knowing. He is greater than that hose, but that illustrates the force. He is an un. Uh, An all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful force for righteousness. He can't lie. He can't do any wrong. He can't sin. I'm glad that's the God I serve. I need a God that's bigger than me. I need a God that's stronger than me. I need a God that's more righteous than me. I need a God that's greater than me. And we have it. The whole trinity. The Father, Son, Son. And the Holy Spirit. So he's telling him, saying, just be, you know, don't be hanging out with these guys. Don't let your sons and daughters be out with them. Um, I'm trying to say how to say this. My daughter, who's grown and married now, she got into a situation one time that my wife and I weren't comfortable with. And it, nothing bad had happened, but we, we watched a particular individual taking too much interest in our daughter. And we knew that relationship wouldn't be good. And it was an adult. <clears throat> and I thought, if I mishandle this, I'll be on the front page of the Danville newspaper. Uh, So my wife and I were concerned. So we decided we would fast together for a few days and pray about it. And then God supernaturally stepped into that moment. She was separated from that just in a wonderful way, the way God handled it. I wouldn't have handled it that way, right? And... Everything was taken care of. But we knew that there was a spirit that would start influencing her life. We saw it. And thank God he put us in on that. Uh, If you were here last night, yesterday about 6 o'clock, the Holy Spirit quickened me that there were some demonic presence that had come into our area to set up some strongholds. And I ask you all to pray with me about that. Last night after service, I got the confirmation of that. And here's all I'm going to say about that. And you, But this, this was the confirmation. I had no idea what those spirits were up to. I just could feel it. I, I had went to the post office with my wife before church, and I'd been praying at the house before we went to do an errand before we came here last night. And it just hit me. I, said, I looked at her and I said, there are some evil forces that have come into this area that have set up a stronghold. I didn't know what they were, but after church last night, somebody pulled me off to the side and said, there is a highly, high possibility that there's some child trafficking going on in Danville, Kentucky. And that's what I was picking up on. I didn't know what I was picking up on. So, we got some praying to do and keep your eyes open. Nobody, do you realize? A lot of us grew up, which probably most of you my age didn't go on vacation much. Maybe started going on vacation with your children, but our generation, you know, we went to the state park or something. (laughs) But once every three or four years, right? But we all grew up knowing and hearing that. Myrtle Beach was the most family-friendly beach around. It ain't no more. Child trafficking is horrendous in Myrtle Beach. I have a very close family that lives in Myrtle Beach. They, their family owns several businesses in Myrtle Beach. And child trafficking is out the roof in Myrtle Beach. And murder, the murder has increased down there. And there's a dividing line like you find in all these cities. You know, you can, you can go to Cincinnati and you can go across one street and it changes, right? It's like going from one world to another one. And the same thing in Myrtle Beach. There's a dividing line where North Myrtle Beach is still pretty good shape. But then South Myrtle Beach has been taken over by gangs and child traffic. It's, it's bad. A lot of teenage suicide uh, what I'm saying is, we love our towns, but if we are not watchmen, and see, I, God didn't give me a vision yesterday or insight into something for me to just say, well, it's getting bad, <laughs> you know. We know it's getting bad. Uh, my cousin worked in the school system in one of the systems, and they, after a school shooting, the feds sent people around to all the schools to brief people about certain things. And he was the guy to intercept him when he flew in and, and take care of him and set him up in a particular auditorium so he could speak to the staff. And the guy come in and said, well, you got a drug problem around here, don't you? And my cousin was sarcastic. He said, well, don't everybody, <laughs> which is true. But then he went into him to tell him why that was true. And I, I don't want, I'm not comfortable telling you that publicly, but uh, it's amazing. So what happens is, we get these demonic spirits coming in and setting up strongholds, and then our little towns are not our little towns anymore. Because, and we know part of that's part of the end of time. I understand that, but but we need to pray against those things. Remember what Daniel was going through? Prayed for 21 days. And finally, Gabriel showed up and said, hey, I would have been here sooner, but I was doing battle with the prince of Persia, this demonic force that had overtaken that region or tried to overtake it. So there was a battle going on in the heavenlies. That's where our war's at. Our war's not down here. Our war's not down here. Our war is in the heavens. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against things we cannot see. So the confirmation for God speaking to me was right on the heels of that, and I'm thankful for that. Give me some insight so now I can pray. But this morning when I was praying, you know what I prayed? We all see where this presidential election's headed. It's headed between two guys that probably most of us think there's probably better options out there. I just said, Lord, put ever who's in who is your will. Because sometimes his will may be different than what we think, right? uh, Maybe he's putting somebody in that's going to do something that causes the Middle East to come a little closer to the end of time. You, You know, we don't know all that. He knows all that. So I just said, Lord, you're the one that raises up kings and brings them down. You're in charge here. I want to see your will. That's what I want. I want to happen. I want your will to be done. And, and it's, a, it's a bad place to be where you feel like you're not getting top-notch and people filled with integrity in places that we need integrity. I get that. But, you know, the way we've turned from God in this country, maybe we're getting what we deserve right down the line. Everywhere, you know. If we turn from God individually, families states, cities, nations, there ain't no good coming out of that. That's nothing but troubles coming out of that. So he said, don't go in there and mix and mingle with these guys. You're going to get in trouble. And how many times we told our children that, right? Don't, don't. uh," (laughs) My my dad, when I was growing up, there was one city that he must have had trouble in, but he'd say, don't be, there ain't no girls down there in that town. (laughs) He said, I said, surely God's got somebody down there. No, but he he, he had a bias against that. Uh, So he says, uh, then he says, you shall make no molded gods for yourselves. The feast of unleavened bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, as I have commanded you in the appointed time of the month of Abib. Uh, For in the month of Abib you came out from Egypt. All that open the womb are mine. Hey! And every male firstborn among your livestock, whether ox or sheep. But the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem. Do you know that first statement? Remember, David said, David was getting ready to go sacrifice, he needed some ox. And the guy who was gracious and was just being kind said, I'll give them to you. And David said, no, you won't. Because if you give them to me, it'll be your sacrifice and not mine. I'm paying for them. He said, "That's." and then David said another place, he said, whenever we bring something to God, all we're doing is giving back what he's already given us. Why? Because... All is mine, he said. It's all mine. He's just lending stuff to us and wanting us to be good stewards. He said, and none shall appear before me empty-handed, right? Don't, don't let your sons come up here empty. Honor me as God. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. And you shall observe the feast of weeks. He's going over some of the commandments he gave in chapter 20. Uh, and the feast of the in-gathering at the year's end. Three times in a year all your men shall appear before the Lord and the Lord God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God. Three times in a year. And I know a guy who does this with his men, they all gather up three times a year just to seek the Lord. And I've done that before in the past. And that's something I've been praying about starting again, that where our men go and honor God three times a year, just separate themselves for a day and spend it before the Lord. And we've had some powerful moments doing that. I'm not saying it's something that we have to do legally, as under the law, but what what bad could come out of that? As I look back on the guys that participated in that when I used to do that, I can't think of one of them that's not still walking with the Lord. Just getting away. No cell phones. Nothing but the voice of God. That's why I go to the monastery every year. Because you're not allowed to talk. You're not allowed to have your phone. You just the only voice you're allowed to hear is God's. And I like to separate myself for a few days every year so that the only voice that I'm hearing is God's, not somebody's, no cell phones, no nothing. So he said, they go before him three times a year. They cannot come up there empty-handed. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor shall the sacrifice, the feast of Passover, be left until morning. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord. That's the tithe and the feast uh, you shall bring to the house of the Lord. And you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Then the Lord said to Moses, write these words. For according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So So he was there with the Lord 40 days, 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. Wow. Neither ate bread. Now again, sometimes, and this is what we've got to be careful with, we read something that defies logic. But you've got a supernatural God. The prophet come by and they said, Alas! The axe head's gone. And it's borrowed. And he said, Get the limb. And the axe head swam. That's my God. I don't know who you serve. (laughs) I do know who you serve. And then, what about a great fish? Swallow a man and he gets oxygen or is staying alive while he's in there. What about that? You think that's something? What about someone? Being in the grave three days and coming back to life. <laughs> so don't limit yourself. When you see that, you think, ah, oh, nobody can go without water for 40 days. You can't if you're hanging out with God. God might have had an IV in him. We don't know. And then God buried him. Remember that? He buried him. Nobody got to go to Moses' funeral. He had his own funeral. So, he so don't, don't come in here and act like the world. That's not what we do. We come in here and believe that our God can do anything. And he's proven it. Just look at your body, the complexity of the miles of blood vessels inside of you, the complexity, complexity of how babies formed and the stages of all that. It's amazing. There's an architect out there, and his name's God, Jehovah, Yahweh. His Son, only begotten, is Jesus. So when you see something like that, the world wants to talk you down. Listen. I got no time. Remember that old saying that came out, ain't nobody got time for that? <laughs> what they believe, and they want to criticize us? I ain't got no time for that. So he says, uh, He said, uh, he's up there, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the Ten Commandments. So he's having to redo that because the first ones were broke. He come down and he's uh, I think, remember we read last week where, or a couple of weeks ago, where God said, get out of the way, Moses. I'm just going to do away with all of them. Hang on to you. And Moses said, he stepped in the gap, right? He said, no, if you're going to destroy them, destroy me too. And so he stood in the gap. Then it wasn't just a few chap- verses over. Moses said, you ought to get rid of these guys. <laughs> can't believe. So that's just the nature of it, right? But the beauty is when you come to the New Testament, uh, Moses was human too, by the way. He wasn't supernatural. He was a man like us. When you get to the New Testament, Jesus said, kill me instead of them. Moses did good. He interceded. He said, kill me with them. But Jesus said, hey, take my life instead of their life. That's the power of the salvation that we walk with. So uh, Moses came down after he got a new, uh, and the two tablets of the testimony were, Mo, were in Moses' hand. He came from Mount Sinai. And when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. They were afraid of him because the glory of God had rubbed off. You know what we've been talking about? Whoever you hang out with will rub off on you. He's hanging out with God, and it was rubbing off on him. You know, we all grew up learning this, uh, that the moon gets its light from the sun, right? So the more the moon turns toward the sun, the more light it gives off. So if you get in the New Testament, Paul in Colossians talks about the new moon festival that the Israelites recognized, and that's a picture for us, right? The more we turn toward the S-O-N, the sun, the more light we give off more we turn toward him. So Moses is coming down glowing because he's been hanging out at the right spot. When I was in Texas, this has probably been 20 years ago or more. There was a guy that I really, uh, I got a lot of his teaching. I went to his church. at a conference. I hung out. We, he was used of God mightily. We, we were in a service and watched a man's leg grow out right in front of us. He's, he's one leg was shorter than the other. And the Lord showed up that night and Touched him, healed him. So this particular guy, he was on television a lot, and God told him to leave the television and go back to the local church. So we were in Marshall, Texas, and uh, so after one of the meetings, we went and had dinner, and he was in the group, and he he said, he said because, and this was semi early in my ministry, he said because we got men going up into the pulpit instead of coming down into the pulpit he said we got half flesh and half spirit in our pulpits and when he said that i said to myself under my own breath i said oh my god what have i been doing he said we need to be like moses we need to have men coming out of the presence of god into the pulpit Instead of climbing up from their own ideas and their own influences into the pulpit. They've been with God. And they're coming down into the pulpit. And I said, oh my Lord, what have I been doing? So I'm glad God taught me that early. About coming out of His presence to minister to people. Instead of trying to work it up, you know. True ministry... You need to, you know, we need to do our homework and learn. The Bible says uh, we need to study to show ourselves approved a workman that needeth not be ashamed. But true ministry should be an outflow of the transformation that's happening inside of us. Because we're hanging out with God. You know what they said about Peter and those guys? The Bible said they took note that they had been with Jesus. It showed that they'd been with Jesus. And I I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but the world don't need to see any of us. (laughs) They need to see Jesus. They need to see Him through us. And what we lost in the garden is what we can retain in Christ. We lost that likeness. And so now we need to regain that through Christ. So he's come down with these tablets. Uh, his skin was glowing, and Moses had finished speaking with him. Verse 33 he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whenever he had been commanded. Isn't that beautiful? He's totally open, exposed when he goes before the Lord. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him, speaking of God. And Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded, commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work... On it shall be put to death. Wow. S- uh, strong consequences, right? <laughs> uh, I-, I watched an interview of a guy whose son had got killed in the last few days, and the, the lady that killed him is going to get community service. Stabbed him 130 times, I believe. She's going to get community service. Man. Things sure have changed. Uh, you shall ken an old fire throughout your dwelling on the Sabbath day. And Moses spoke to all the congregation, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skin, dyed red, badger skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate. So he's getting ready. He's gathering up the stuff for the tabernacle. And we've used that a lot in the study here. Can we shoot that up there real quick? Shoot that tabernacle up here. So on this tabernacle, this is something that we put together. Uh, I'm illiterate on the computer, so Keith put this actually together. I mean, I laid it out on a piece of paper with a pencil. That's me. Uh, a lady called me. Well, you ever get, sometimes I'll take those, uh, what do they call those calls, robo-calls or something, where people don't tell you who they are. It's, sometimes I'll take one just to mess with them a little bit or something. But uh, I know that's mean, but I get in the flesh too. And so I took one the other day, and the lady said, I'm calling you about your computer. I said, well, that's funny. I don't own one. I said, I might be the only guy in America that don't have a computer, but I don't own a computer. And she hung up. <laughs> so uh, when you come through here, of course you can see how the furniture is laid out in a cross. I mean, God's tried to show us Jesus. From Genesis 1, right? earth was without form, void, darkness covered it. Uh, and, and that's us, right? We're without form and void inside. Darkness covers our lives. Then the light comes in, which is Christ, and brings life. So from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22, God's been showing us His Son. But even this, right? This is the work of Christ. Now, I use this. This was birthed to me many years ago to teach us how to pray. But there's so much in here that shows us the work of Christ. And the work of the Holy Spirit that as we come through here. So, what, what you're reading here is all these people are bringing heave offerings. A heave offering is not the tithe, the tithe belongs to the Lord, but a heave offering is something above that to bring in and, and to fix, get these, this tabernacle. So, it was like a, actually Moses had to stop them. They were so, so many of them so willing to bring in stuff to get this tabernacle up and running that he had to say, well, hey, we've got enough. Uh, so that's what a heave, that, uh, a lot of, not all, but a lot of what built all this new stuff was heave offerings. People who brought offerings in above their tithe, uh, that's what put all these, that foyer, not all of it, but some of it. But that's what this is. They're bringing all this gold and, uh, of course, the veil was made and and all these utensils and All the stuff, the curtains and everything was made from these people bringing in their stuff. One of the things that's kind of neat is this laver here. So when you come here in our prayer time, we see what it represents. But it's also the sacrifice of Christ, the sanctification that he does in our lives, the communion. All that's the Holy Spirit getting part of our life. All that's part of the work of Christ. There's three ways, three main ways to look at this tabernacle. One is... The work of Christ, one is the nature of man and what God does for him. And the other one is how to pray, how to come into God's presence. But this is an interesting one because uh, it was a great sacrifice here that built this. The gold that made the labor, these people were bringing their gold and stuff in to make this. And then in the, in the basin was lined with mirrors. And the women were giving up their mirrors. That's a sacrifice for a lady, right, to give up her mirror but when the, when the sacrifice was made, they would wash in that laver. And so the priest would go over and wash his hands in the water of that laver. But before he washed his hands, which were covered in blood, he would look in that basin, he would see his own reflection because the mirrors lined all that. But once the blood was washed off of him and filled the basin, he couldn't any see his reflection anymore. All he could see is the blood. And that's us, right? That's what God's done in us. Once we have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, washed in the blood of Christ, it's no longer us he sees. He sees the reflection of his own son. That's the good news of the gospel. And so they're getting ready. The oil for the lamps. Of course, the lamps couldn't go out, you know, as they got all that going. We see there's so much for us to, and we'll talk about some more of that next week. But I want to tell you this before we quit. Uh, In one of the Psalms, I forget which Psalm it is, it says, uh, Blessed are those who stand in the house of the Lord by night. When this tabernacle and temple eventually got up and running, there were three shifts in there. These guys worked around the clock. And one of the guys, if you read some Jewish history, was a prodder. And he had a stick (laughs) that when these priests were scattered around the temple, that he would make sure they stayed away, Because that, that menorah and stuff had to keep burning. It had to stay lit. And so they had a job to do, to pray to continually stay before the Lord. Now let me draw this on my board real quick. And then we'll... When Israel came into the promised land, this is what they were taught. They were taught, to make God the center of their life. And for them, me, and you, to revolve around that. That's, and everything would go well. Make God first. Make Him first in your family. Make Him first in your business. Make Him first in your checkbook. Whatever. That's, and God said, everything will go well with you. But now we live in a world that does this. Puts me in the center and revolves everything around me. What do we call that? Eros. Self-centeredness. That's how the world lives now. But if you want to live, our security, I want to remind you of this. Our security is not in how well the stock market's doing or what, what kind of job you've got. Our security is in some trust in chariots and horses. But we trust In the name of the Lord. That's where our security is at. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for the word. We love it here. Lord, it's like candy to us. and We just want to live it and share it and hand it off to others. And we want to be more like you. Lord, it would be awesome if we all started glowing (laughs) from being in your presence. Help us, Lord, to be adamant about taking time and being in your presence. In Jesus' name.